If you think Good Magic, the two-year-old champ, has a reasonable shot to win the Kentucky Derby, then what do you think about the horse that beat Good Magic last fall? But it's going to be Firenze Fire. We'll talk to his owner, Ron Lombardi. Plus, trainer Brad Cox had never won a grade one race in his entire career. Now he has two of the leading contenders for the Kentucky Oaks. He'll join us on this Monday edition of the In the Gate podcast. They're in the gate. They're in the gate. In the gate. They're in the gate. It's a head-bobbing finish! This is In the Gate, ESPN's Thoroughbred Racing Podcast. My name is Barry Abrams. You can follow me on Twitter at B. Abrams Voice or on Facebook at Barry Abrams Voice. You can also get us on our YouTube channel by searching In the Gate Podcast. You can get us on SoundCloud as well, which services the iTunes Store and TuneIn.com. You can get us on that little pink podcatcher app on your phone you didn't even know you had. And now you can subscribe to In the Gate in the Listen tab of the ESPN app. For the full In the Gate experience, subscribe now in the Listen tab of the ESPN app. His breeding is fairly modest, and his owner, Ron Lombardi, has had a few notable horses in his 10 years in the sport, Rebo Bobo, tight end touchdown, but never a grade one win. Yet, there they were, owner and horse, last September, celebrating the first grade one win for each of them. Forense Fire starting to make a bid, but wide. They're into the stretch of Vino Molcano. Clings to the lead. Here is Good Magic running up alongside Forense Fire, charging two. Forense Fire to the outside, takes the lead. Good Magic battles on from the rail. But it's going to be Forense Fire and the Champagne. Since that win in the Champagne, Forense Fire's danced every dance with mixed results. A seventh in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile, then he ran in all four races in New York's Kentucky Derby Prep Series. A win in the Jerome in January, then a second in the Withers, and a pair of fourth-place finishes in the Gotham and the Wood. So how ready is Forenzi Fire for his close-up? Well, his owner sure is, as we welcome Ron Lombardi of Mr. Amori Stable here to win the gate. Let's start with Forenzi Fire, so named for a lovely town in the Tuscany region of Italy. Some mixed results for him, but he did beat the eventual two-year-old champion Good Magic in the Champagne. How do you think he's progressed since then? You know, honestly, if you look at his last two races, you know, I think he had some difficulty. I mean, each race he probably checked three or four times. And, you know, you do that a few times in a race, it just takes all your momentum out of you. And, you know, I think his best race is still in front of him. Now, Forenzi Fire's sire is Poseidon's warrior, who was a sprinter, and a good one, won the Alfred Gwynn Vanderbilt at Saratoga in 2012. And I know that Big Brown, who won the Derby in 2008, was also the son of a sprinter boundary, and three-time Breeders' Cup champion Mayor Beholder came from a sprinter, Henny Hughes. But how concerned are you with potential distance limitations for Forenzi Fire? Honestly, I'm not. I mean, yeah, his pedigree does have sprinting in it. There's no question about that. But if you take a look at the champagne, we were, we were probably seven wide halfway through the turn. So he ran well over a mile there. He's been able to do the mile in an eighth. Um, you know, again, had some trouble on the back stretch and, and so forth with checking and so forth. And, you know, I think he can get there. You know, Jason has a full confidence that'll do it. I mean, not saying that, you know, a mile or seven-eighths may not be his cup of tea, but I think he can get it, and I'm, I'm excited about it. 
Jason, of course, is your trainer, Jason Service, who just notched his thousandth win. Now he's been yeah. training for somewhere around sixteen years, and I believe he trains all of your horses forty or so. What led you to choose Jason Service for your stable? You know, um, I'm a New Jersey guy and based out of Monmouth primarily. I do race in New York and Florida, you know, as well on a regular basis, but. And I was getting into the business 10 years ago. I was doing some research, and Jason came highly recommended and uh, couldn't ask for a better guy. Uh, we, we hit it off really well. He's very conservative, and I'm much more of a risk taker. And that chemistry works out really well for us in that, you know, he may tend not to want to go into a race, and I kind of push him to go into it. And <laughs> knock on wood, it's, it's uh, worked out to our advantage. For example, if you take a look at, you know, uh, when we came out of the hopeful up at Saratoga, you know, we didn't run well. And, uh, you know, we had to make a decision. Are we going to go short or are we going to still try and, you know, run long? And I talked to Jason and after a little bit of convincing, we decided we're going to give it one more shot and go long in the champagne. And thank God we did. Pure genius, I would say. Now, it probably <laughs> took quite a bit of Jason's horsemanship to keep Forensi Fire in top shape for that win in the Jerome back in January, since the race was twice rescheduled because of weather. Forensi Fire at the back, four and a half lengths off front running, seven trumpets. But Lopez lets out a notch now on seven trumpets coming toward the quarter pole as Forensi Fire gets underway. Forensi Fire makes a bold move on the outside of Factor This. They both have to get to Seven Trumpets, though, who has something left at the top of the stretch. Seven Trumpets wanders off the rail, leads by a length and a half. Forense Fire fully extended in the center of the track as Factor This drops back. Seven Trumpets resilient. Forense Fire chasing as hard as he can, and he's now coming at him. Forense Fire gradually getting to Seven Trumpets. Here is the line. Forense Fire wins the Jerome. He had to earn it. Now, you want to know about keeping an athlete in top shape. You own a string of physical therapy centers. Had you thought about a change of plans for Forensi Fire because of the weather? You know, I made the decision to stay in New York because there were, you know, basically five prep races in New York. So I saw the opportunity there without having to do a lot of travel. Never did I anticipate the amount of uh, snow and just terrible weather we had. And, you know, I mean, we must have lost 20 days of training you know, between January and February. But, you know, I, I can say it was a, a brilliant decision right now. <laughs> if you asked me that a week ago, I'd be second-guessing myself. But, uh, you know, it, it worked out. So, you know, we're very happy with it. We're talking with Ron Lombardi of Mr. Amore Stable here on In the Gatel Sends Out Forensi Fire from the Kentucky Derby. How did you get involved in horse racing a decade ago? You know, I spent my summers growing up in Long Branch. I used to leave the day school got out, and I used to return the day after Labor Day. And back then, I'm 60 years old, and when I was little, I was five years old, my parents and my aunts and uncles, every Saturday, they went to Monmouth Park. And everything was really geared about them going to the track. On Friday nights, I used to go with my dad and my uncles from Long Branch to drive to Asbury Park to wait for the train to come in from Newark with the telegraph on it. Uh, which you know was the uh, they needed to do their handicapping on Friday night for Saturday, and uh, so I was always around it. You know, when I was little, I was picking numbers or colors or you know names of horses just to go, and it was one of those things where if somebody won at the track, we went out to dinner that night. If not, we ate at home. So uh, it's been a part of my life from when I was you know very little, 
And my father actually, believe it or not, he owned a racehorse back in 1948-49 called Mackey's Paw. He just had the one horse and had it for about a year and a half. And you know, had three wins with the horse. And, uh, you know, so it's in the blood. Well, I certainly remember my grandfather, may he rest in peace, calling in his uh, bets over the phone using letters G-A-G-G in a, in a pick four. <laughs> I used to do that all the time. Now, you've yeah. been to the Breeders' Cup with tight end touchdown in the turf sprint back in 2013, but what do you think it'll be like to experience the Kentucky Derby? Tight end touchdown finished second in a dead heat. Jim Zone horse misdirection uh, nipped us at the wire, so it was uh, it was exciting. The Breeders' Cup is awesome. I mean, you have 14 races of all the best horses and all the best classes, you know, in the world. But the Kentucky Derby is really the crown jewel. It's what everybody you know remembers. What everybody talks about. It's what the general public really knows. So just having the opportunity to run in this race is a dream come true. It's something that when I got into horse racing, I would hope that someday I'd be able to have this opportunity, but never really thought it would be possible. And here we are, and we're doing it with a homebred, which is pretty amazing as well. And therefore, that the final question, I guess, is how do you envision your stable? You have a homebred. How many broodmares, if at all, do you have or stallions? Or what is your overall philosophy? I have 13 broodmares. And, you know, basically, you know, every year, I mean, I, I think I have 12 babies, actually 10 are already on the ground and two more to fall in the next, probably this week, honestly. And, you know, I have some good broodmares. I have, you know, American Border, who's a stake winner, Juju Eyeballs, uh, West Virginia Mountain Mama. I mean, so I, I got a nice little stable of broodmares. I'll probably wean it out a little bit. I really didn't get into the business to be into the breeding. You know, I just love the horses and Sometimes I don't have any any place to go with them, and uh, I do breed them. And, you know, here, for example, my every wish was some, a lot of people said, you know, don't breed, get rid of her, you know, turn her to a equine racer or whatever. And uh, here we are going to the Kentucky Derby with her first offspring. And one of the great things about this sport is that someone like you with a stable that's still what the big boys would consider to be somewhat modest, you get to take on Coolmore which has Mendelssohn and Godolphin, which has enticed. And that's what's so great about this sport, to see the so-called little guy go up against the big guy. And we certainly wish you the best of luck, Ron Lombardi. Thank you so much for a few minutes here. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. We're going to take a short break here on In the Gate, but when we come back, trainer Brad Cox grew up just a few blocks from the twin spires of Churchill Downs. Now he's poised to claim one of Churchill's biggest prizes. Trainer Brad Cox joins us when we come back. Welcome back to the In the Gate podcast. When Brad Cox grew up in the 1990s, there were no luxury boxes at Churchill Downs to obscure the view of its famed spires. Brad Cox could see them from every angle, and they fueled his passion to become a trainer. In the early 2000s, Cox worked as an assistant trainer for Dallas Stewart. Stewart is part of the training tree, so to speak, of the legendary D. Wayne Lucas. So, in working for Dallas Stewart, Brad Cox got a pretty good education. He went out on his own in 2005, and it took him nine years to earn his first graded stakes win with Carve in the 2014 Cornhusker Handicap. 
And just a few weeks ago, Cox nailed his first grade one win with a filly at the top of her game. Monomoy girl in front, chased by Patrona Margarita. Three legs separate the top two, though. Eskimo Kisses starts a late rally to the top of the short stretch. From fourth to third to challenge for second. Seven legs behind Monomoy girl. And Monomoy girl in the final furlong of the Central Bank Ashland has the lead by six. Eskimo Kisses a distant second. Patrona Margarita third. It is all Monomoy girl to take the Central Bank Ashland. Now Brad Cox has two chances to nab one of the biggest prizes, the Kentucky Oaks, at a track where he essentially grew up. Not only Monomoy Girl, but Sassy Sienna, winner of the Fantasy at Oaklawn Park in Arkansas. It's a heady time to be Brad Cox, and amazingly, he has time to share a couple of minutes with us here on In the Gate. How did it feel to bag a grade one race? Well, um, relief. <laughs> I know. It felt great, but you know, I mean, we've been second a few, you know, two or three times, very close, narrow defeats. So it, it was good to get that victory. It meant a lot. Now, her first couple of starts were on turf, but then you switched her to dirt last fall. What was the thought in doing that? Training her up to her first race, she just wasn't really, really fast out of the gate, and we thought, you know, we didn't really want to sprint her because we didn't want her to get left. And we thought, well, we'll just run them a little further. They don't have to be as quick out of the gate. So uh, run a mile on the turf at the time. That was really all they offered as far as two, two-year-old route races were uh, on the turf, not on the dirt. So we take a shot there. And, you know, if you watch her first race, she, did, she didn't break all that well. And she, um, you know, it, it obviously worked out. She she was able to, to uh, break her maiden first out, not that we necessarily were – pressed to break her maiden first time out or felt like we had to do that but she was you know obviously the best of the group and she uh, ran a big race that was the biggest thing with getting her on the turf was not so much the surface the distance uh with with running her a mile first time out she's won five of six and the win in the ashland of course was eye-popping what do you do to Mm -hmm. keep her in that zone well we don't change anything i guess (laughs) that's the simple answer uh you know, really, with training horses, it's all about, I mean, it's obviously trial and error, but uh, with her, I mean, you know, right now, she's in a good spot, like you said. I mean, we don't want to change anything. We want to just try to keep everything as routine as possible. We've shipped her over to church. Obviously, you change things when you go from track to track, so there is change between races because every race is different, but shipped her over to Churchill two days after the Ashland. Uh, this is home for her. We feel like it's our home base, and she was here last fall for, um, you know, probably three or four months. So she's happy here. She's training extremely well. She seems like she's as good now as she was when she was going into the Ashland. Moving forward, we, we try to keep everything as routine as we can for her and have her as sharp the first Friday in May as we, we had her uh, going into the Ashland. Now, you won three stakes races last year on Kentucky Derby Weekend, Banner Island in the Eight Bells, Green Mask in the Twin Spires Turf Sprint, and then Arklow in the American Turf. But those don't come with quite the same attention as a main event race like the Oaks. How do you plan to manage your team through a big event like that, which is an issue? Well, we, we, you know, we run a lot of horses day in and day out. And, you know, honestly, it, it's it's business as usual. It's, um, you know, it does mean a lot. You know, I think definitely a little more nerves uh, go along with running in the Oaks and being one of the favorites. But, you know, as far as managing our team and what we'll do, 
it won't change. Nothing will change. It'll be as if, you know, we're running a horse on a Thursday in the third race at Churchill. I mean, it, I don't want to say it's just another race, but we prepare it for it as if it's just another race. Um, nothing will change. Obviously, there'll be more people around and, you know, more eyes on the situation um, and what's, you know, taking place. But at the end of the day, um, you know, it's, you know, we have the same game plan and we just try to execute it as if, like I said, it's another race. So, um, honestly, the preparation won't, won't differ much from just a normal day or a normal race. Trainer Brad Cox joining us here on In the Gate. At one point, you were down to training just a handful of horses at a time. Now you've got more than 80 and some of your owners are pretty high profile, including Saul Kuman, who's part owner of Monomoy Girl. How have you been able to make such a quantum leap? I guess the biggest thing is just winning. You know, yeah, that's kind of my take on it, so being able to win. Um, and a lot of that comes with placing the horses and, you know, just basic care and surrounding yourself with good people, good help, good clients. It's basically what it comes down to and letting the client clients allowing us to make the decisions we need to make in order to get these horses to the winter circle. You know, things have changed a lot over the last five, six years for the good. We, like you said, we were down to a handful of horses six, seven years ago and we're on a good run and hope, hopefully keep it that way. We've got a really good group of clients that support us with quality horses and that's basically what it comes down to. And it's my job to put, you know, quality help and quality staff and great exercise riders, grooms, hot walkers, vets around these horses and, you know, keep it organized. That's the biggest thing probably, you know, keeping everybody on the same page, working as a team. Um, that's another huge thing employees have to buy into is it's a total team effort. It's not one guy. It's not Brad Cox. It's it's not just the groom. It's not just the exercise rider. It's a total team effort. The, each individual horse, and obviously when you have the amount of horses we have, it, it's a, it's a huge team effort. So there's a lot of people involved behind the scenes that don't get the recognition or, you know, doing the phone interviews, but they're as important as me or the assistant or whoever, but it's, it's a total team effort. Well, and along that line, like we said before, working for Dallas Stewart is essentially attending the Wayne Lucas School of Large Stable Management, you know, where Todd Pletcher has a Ph.D., but, you know, nonetheless, how much does running an operation that's growing so fast tax your ability to give each horse your attention? Obviously, when you have various sites or, um, you know, if you're running two or three strings, you can't be at every one of them every day. Um, you know, like I said, we feel as though it's very organized. It's very organized in our minds, our minds being my assistants and myself. It's like it's very organized and we're all on the same page. And that, that has, you know, that that's the biggest thing is the organization. And we kind of all see things the same way. And, you know, we're the, the lines of communication are really good. So that's the way we're able to uh, communicate every day and talk about each individual horse every day, their training chart, their training um, regimen and races in the future. So that just basically comes down to organization. They run towards the quarter pole, and Mamie's challenge leads by five lengths from Wonder Godot, who has just taken over second. Sassy Sienna is third, but 16th out. Now the lead's only a length. Wonder Godot. Sassy Sienna between horses. Wonder Godot takes the lead. Sassy Sienna going to test her to the wire. Sassy Sienna, Wonder Godot right together. Sassy Sienna has already made nine starts. The fantasy was her third win. You don't see too many males or females with that many starts at this point in their careers anymore. Why such a heavy workload? Very sound horse. It's been a filly that we received from the McCathens last summer, and she's not missed a beat. Very, very sound filly. 
very athletic, scopey filly, plenty of legs, should be able to get the mile and an eighth distance of the Oaks. Battle-tested, running several races, turf, dirt. She's another one that started out on the turf. So, you know, she, she's a nice filly that we think can, um, you know, hopefully get the mile and eighth distance in the Oaks. You're a native of Louisville, and the Kentucky Oaks is considered the derby for the locals, since the fancy people go on Saturday. So what would winning the Oaks mean to you? It would mean a lot. I mean, being from Louisville and growing up just two blocks from Churchill Downs, you know, obviously my main goal would be to win the Kentucky Derby, but I feel like there's one out there with my name on it. The Oaks would be a, a great achievement. It's a spectacular race, and um feel very fortunate to have two great opportunities at it. And we certainly wish you the best of luck. Thank you so much for a couple of minutes, sir. Thank you very much. Talk to you soon. Our thanks to Brad Cox and to Ron Lombardi. When Northern Dancer won the Derby in 1964, he was the first horse to be owned and to be bred outside of U.S. borders. The Dancer was Canadian. What would that mean for the Derby in the years ahead? Two other Derby winners were owned internationally, Fusaichi Pegasus by a Japanese man. That came in 2000. The other was Thunder Gulch, whose owner, Kumor, has a master plan. Kumor had an amazing run of success that's rarely seen, with 28 Group 1 wins last year. But unlike Thunder Gulch, Mendelssohn trains in Ireland, and no Derby winners needed a passport here. And don't forget Enticed, who's won a pair of graded stakes and whose owner is the ruler of Dubai. Will he join the short list of international derby winners? From around the world, the big boys will give it a try. You can get us on our YouTube channel by searching In The Gate Podcast. You can get us on SoundCloud as well at the iTunes Store or TuneIn.com. You can get us on that little pink podcatcher app on your phone that you didn't even know you had. And now you can subscribe to In The Gate in the Listen tab of the ESPN app. For the full In The Gate experience, subscribe now in the Listen tab of the ESPN app. And you can follow me on Twitter at Voice or on Facebook at Barry Abrams Voice. Remember to join us later this week as we continue to talk with connections of Kentucky Derby and Kentucky Oaks horses. But for now, that's In The Gate. I'm Barry Abrams. We'll see you back here tomorrow.